everyone. Welcome back to the Ace Podcast. This is episode two and our first episode with a guest. And today's guest is Roy Saldana, the director of Ace. Thank you so much for being here. Glad to be here. <laughs> okay, so let's just jump right in. Um, you're from Wisconsin, Wisconsin Green Bay, is that correct? Correct. Awesome. So what's Wisconsin like compared to the city out here? Well, growing up in Wisconsin, it was a very small, wholesome place. Um, as I jokingly tell people, um, it was very blonde and blue-eyed. And um, needless to say, um, I stuck out uh, significantly in elementary school. Uh, but somehow it was it was really a positive experience overall. Um, it was small, it was kind of quiet. Um, like I said, it was wholesome. Uh, but it was a very middle-class, lower middle-class community. So everyone was kind of in it together and in a similar situation. And when you have that kind of commonality, it puts everyone in a position to just really kind of look out for each other and uh, take care of the community, take care of your school, take care of your neighbors, and so on. So I would say it was a very positive upbringing. But um, I knew small towns were not for me. So I knew I was eventually going to get to the city. And I was always kind of in the background dreaming of getting to like Chicago, New York, LA, something like that. That's awesome. So um, you graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Uh, with a Bachelor of Science in Humanistic Studies. So um, describe your motivation for studying humanistic science. Sure. Uh, so I knew that the, the heavy tart sciences were not for me, so I knew the social sciences was going to be what I was going to focus on eventually. Uh, so I started out thinking I was actually going to be a teacher, um, so I figured I'd be in the K-12. through So I was looking to um, get my degree in education and probably work at a high school. Potentially a middle school, but likely a high school. And um, I ended up actually kind of doing that. Um, things evolved. Um, I looked at uh, maybe getting my degree in Spanish at one point. Um, that was proving to be quite a struggle, even though Spanish is my parents' first language. Um, they didn't teach us the language. Um, so I ended up settling for that as a minor. Um, but the, uh, the, career uh, the career trajectory that I had, uh, the, the programs, it was something along the lines of uh, education, crossing over to Spanish, crossing over to social change and development, and then eventually the humanistic studies uh, degree. Uh, I picked it because I realized that the social change and development part of the curriculum that I was originally looking at um, as my third major, um, it just wasn't working for me. Um, I thought it was um, really kind of sad that for a department to be about social change and development, it was basically for the most part led by um, older white men mm -hmm. and I, I thought to myself where's the diversity in that and mm -hmm. where's the social change and development in that um, so I just I had issue with that mm -hmm. um, I ended up crossing over into humanistic studies because um, I did see uh, more female staff uh, faculty and um, just more ethnic diversity um, within that particular department um, it was also going to get me out on time mm -hmm. um, so I had pretty much um, the curriculum already taken care of a lot a lot of this uh, requirements had crossed over from social change and development mm -hmm. to humanistic studies and it worked out so um, you know I knew that that degree was going to be a good precursor to my social work uh, masters which was the original plan and I figured I would go to UW-Milwaukee mm -hmm. and um, study social work um, it didn't play out that way at all um, I ended up not going to grad school for seven eight years mm -hmm. and um, the reason why I didn't go is because I just kept getting um, better jobs yeah. It just kind of kept moving. Mm -hmm. And um, at one point in time, I thought to myself, I don't know if I even need the master's at this point. Mm -hmm. um, but eventually, um, as I've told the students, um, if you want to be the boss, um, you got to get the master's, likely. 
in a lot of professions, especially these days. And uh, library science ended up winning out. Um, it was a number one ranked program, the one number one program that they have in Champaign. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a lot of financial support. Um, so I was able to get fellowships and scholarships that really covered everything, um, plus some. So that is how the education um, part of my experience played out. Yeah. So in that gap, you said, what, seven years between undergrad and getting your master's. Mm -hmm. Can you describe like a little bit what you've learned? Uh, I learned uh, after a year and a half in K through 12. Um, I learned that I like that age and I can appreciate that age, mm -hmm. um, but it just was not going to be super long term. Mm -hmm. And I had a really positive experience in the school district of Howard Swanco, which is just outside of Green Bay, uh, right on the other side of the highways, basically the <laughs> the divide. And uh, it's a pretty privileged district. Um, it was one of those districts that um, the student parking lot. Uh, look better than the staff parking lot. Um, so we'd always kind of laugh at that as if the students had these cars We didn't know where they were getting them from uh, so privileged um, mm -hmm. and uh, I learned that uh, if I was really going to change um, the inequities in society um, I, I felt that supporting students at the higher education level was uh, more relevant uh, You know K through 12 is built into our structure in this country mm -hmm. and it's it's accessible to you know, everyone supposedly. Um, it's more political in the bigger cities, but you know, mid-sized cities, smaller cities, pretty much everyone has access mm -hmm. and um, you know, they, they get what they need um, for the most part if they if they show up um, and if, if they follow the, the timelines and the protocol and the deadlines and, and so on that the administration is, um, is asking of them. And in these smaller towns, it's actually very easy to manage all that. Yeah. Um, and we used to do a really good job up in Wisconsin. Um, we, we could really um, we could keep these students on track and, and really follow the details. Um, and, and that's great, but uh, the, the higher ed piece, that's really where we're gonna see the um, social inequities uh, dissolve um, if we can get our students yeah. to cross over from one type of institution to the other. Um, so really watching that play out in real life uh, was significant. Um, told me that this was more yeah. where I belonged. Um, I understand, as I've told you all, um, higher education wasn't meant for first-generation college kids, yeah. it wasn't meant for low-income, it wasn't meant for women, it wasn't meant for mm -hmm. people of color. It was meant for, for the family, for the families, the, the children of rich families. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we needed to stop that, and hence why TRIO exists. Um, and that's one of the reasons why um, you know, I learned the significance um, of TRIO and how I knew that it was something that could be really long-term for me. It's just knowing that I'm doing what's right and um, helping society progress um, by giving everyone access. Um, I would say one of the other big lessons I learned during that seven-year window was really how different schools can um, can be when it comes to their approach. Um, UW Green Bay, it's a bubble. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a mid-sized school. Um, everything works there, and um, I think it it kept staff from being challenged. Mm -hmm. To, um, to really think outside the box because that box was a really nice fit mm -hmm. kind of for everyone and for the community. So it's just very simple. Uh, when I got to Champaign, um, I couldn't believe it was like being on another planet. Mm -hmm. And I went from a school of maybe 70,000 students to Champaign being like 42, 43,000 yeah. students and it's probably 45, 46,000 now. Mm -hmm. That's a small city. Yeah. You know, that's, that's larger than most cities, mm -hmm. most small cities. And, uh, you know, seeing resources and the kind of talent mm -hmm. 
that shows up at a world research one institution there were 101 countries represented when I was there and that I really learned how that kind of diversity challenged folks to um, really look at the box that they were in and it challenged that box to have to expand yeah. unlike UW Green Bay mm -hmm. it's very homogeneous so everything kind of fit and worked for everyone yeah. um, in Champaign you had students coming from all these different countries and diff had different needs and language needs and, and healthcare needs and, and just different approaches and how they did everything and how they lived, how they how they did their day to day, and staff and faculty had to accommodate. Yeah. And that challenged them to have to do their jobs a little mm -hmm. different, um, and in my opinion, better. Yeah. So I would say that that's um, those are some of the takeaway lessons that during those seven eight years. Uh, but again, I said I hit the glass ceiling at eight. If I wanted to go into Boston, go a little higher, yeah. then I got to get my master's. Yeah. yeah. So after you found your passion with the, those seven eight years, what was the motivation to go to the to Champaign Urbana, like out of any other school there is? Well, um, as I've told you all, um, I, I, you well actually you probably haven't heard this. Um, this has typically come up in class meetings, which mm -hmm. you haven't had yet. Uh, so you'll have your first class meeting as as a first-year student um, in the spring. Uh, but at the start of each semester here, we do a class meeting um, that first week and then a repeat meeting the next week. Mm -hmm. At those meetings, it kind of comes up, um, and especially when I'm talking to juniors and seniors and I'm talking about their career development and um, how, to, how to get from point A to point B to get that job offer. I've always told those students that um, plan on the job search process to be an emotional experience, mm -hmm. um, a humbling experience as well. Uh, you're not going to get the first job you apply to yeah. and uh, chances are you're going to be applying for a while mm -hmm. and When I was trying to get my first full-time higher ed job um, It was really crossing over within the profession during a time in which um, getting a position at a university With just a bachelor's degree was almost impossible at that point mm -hmm. um, So these days it's pretty much impossible to get a job <laughs> unless it's going to yeah. be very entry-level um, be maybe secretarial, um, administrative, you know, yeah. kind of clerical work, maybe. But for the most part, the expectation um, now, especially, but even back then, was a master's at the minimum. Yeah. And um, I was coming in with just a bachelor's degree. Over the course of uh, about a year and a half, two years, um, I ended up having to put in 200 plus resumes. Mm -hmm. And the first one that gave me that full blown opportunity that meant healthcare benefits and days off and tuition reimbursement and just all the benefits you get from a full-time job uh, that first offer came from Champaign really? and I was not trying to necessarily move to Champaign I didn't I didn't even know anything really about Champaign um, I thought it was actually a suburb of Chicago mm -hmm. um, it's not <laughs> um, I learned that it wasn't um, when the manager of that office called me and said what is the airport in Green Bay I said, Austin Straubel, and I said, am I coming out of Midway or uh, O'Hare? Mm -hmm. And she said, um, I'm forgetting the, the airport over there. But she told me the airport name, and I, I kind of was a little bit startled, mm -hmm. and then I looked it up, and I thought, and I realized, okay, I'm not moving to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mm -hmm. oh, shoot, um, okay. But I took the interview anyway, mm -hmm. went, and, you know, it was just one of those things that I, I knew was going to play out. I just knew, that one I just knew was mm -hmm. going to play out, and I knew I was going to get the offer got there and it's, it's maybe a bit hard to explain but I just kind of looked at that office and I saw how they were kind of doing things and mm -hmm. I just I just looked at it and I said they so need me here yeah and I could just see that they needed that young blood mm -hmm. 
those young new ideas, that young energy. Um, I could see that the office had kind of been at a bit of a standstill. Yeah. And it just needed that next generation to come in mm-hmm. and give everything a facelift to kind of remind the current staff that speed yeah. is something they needed. And uh, as that all played out, um, the job offer and um, quickly learned um, what what good luck I had just had. Mm-hmm. Um, when you end up at a research one Big Ten University, um, you know it's the flagship university of, of its state. So if you fit into the category of Big Ten, you're going to be the flagship of the state. So uh, for example, like Madison would be the flagship of Wisconsin. Um, you know Columbus, Ohio State for Ohio, um, Ann Arbor for Michigan, yeah. and these institutions when they're in that category of Big Ten. There's so much money and so much power and so much prestige and so many opportunities. And um, I saw what was happening there and I just thought, wow, this is a whole other level of opportunity, um, not only for our students, but also for people who work here. And, um, you know, Shantara Banner really proved um, to win me over. Um, I went kicking and screaming, yeah. I'll admit. And I was mad that I wasn't going to New York or LA or Chicago. Um, but when I got there, I saw very quickly that it was going to be a good result mm-hmm. and that I was going to eventually leave being very thankful that I was yeah. there and that's literally exactly how it played out um, I was ready to go after the five and a half years um, four years of working there and then a yeah. year of grad school and then a few months just hanging out mm-hmm. for those last few months um, you know I was really ready to go mm-hmm. uh, but I did I did leave knowing I was going to miss it um, and I've kept my ties um, mm-hmm. I've visited a few times and um, it's nice to be back but uh, my life is definitely here now yeah. and when it's time to catch that train typically around seven o'clock on that night um, yeah. when I'm coming back um, I'm usually very ready yeah <laughs> so that experience at Champagne working there you said you came in and you felt like you had to give fresh new ideas be someone new in the place I can kind of relate to that with the social media job I feel like I'm coming into something new like a blank slate almost and kind of just putting in my ideas and really just trying to get ace out there so what were the struggles for you being new there and really trying to make change? Uh, well, the struggles uh, included, um, it's actually a double-edged sword. So one of the unique things about that particular office, <coughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. <coughs> one of the unique things was that the leadership hadn't changed for nearly mm-hmm. three decades. Now the plus to that is that the um, experience that these individuals bring is significant. Um, so between the, the management of that office, there was about 90 years worth yeah. of experience at the U of I. And that's really rare um, for a management team to stick together for nearly three decades. Is mm-hmm. You're just not gonna see that. So we had a director and two associate directors um, who had really dedicated their lives to the TRIO initiatives, um, to the Office of Minority Student Affairs over there. And uh, what that did is that put um, that office um, in a position to um, to kind of to kind of uh, you know to start doing what they were doing to start building that office um, mm-hmm. and, and to get it going. Um, but then it needed that new lens mm-hmm. eventually, and uh, some of the younger staff that had come in um, had kind of done their part. Uh, when I came in, I was I was pretty young. Um, I was twenty five years old. Mm-hmm. So when I come in and I'm working with folks who are coming to the end of their career, you know, there's a, it's like nearly a 40 year age difference. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm up there with all these computer skills and they thought my computer skills were amazing. Mm-hmm. 
and I thought they were very basic. And that was a really good example of the kind of generational clash. Yeah. Um, I had not quite been raised on computers, but almost. Mm -hmm. Whereas for them, computers was a totally new thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so the learning curves, um, you know, definitely clashed a little bit here and there. Um, so it was a unique situation to learn from the experience that the management of that office could give, but they also were in a unique experience to learn from me, mm -hmm. which is not typical of how that goes so quickly. You know, what is a 25-year-old going to teach someone yeah. in, in a lot of businesses uh, when they've been there for 30 years? Mm -hmm. um, but it was a unique situation in which it actually did play out that way. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, to get the ideas uh, through, um, initially it was um, doing a lot of research to, um, to understand the landscape, to understand the campus, to understand what we had done for 20, 30 years at that point, um, and really find that gap able to figure out how to fill that gap mm -hmm. um, so it took research to do that you don't want to necessarily jump into an office and say okay we need to be doing it all like mm -hmm. this and like that and I've been here a week and I think I'm I know better than you yeah um, that's not going to get you anywhere a mm -hmm. uh, little tip for those who are listening uh, that's <laughs> typically not going to work in the workplace um, that'll probably actually offend those who mm -hmm. have been working there for a while and you're kind of indirectly telling them that their work is not yeah. up to par mm -hmm. so uh, keep that in mind but um, anyway so as I was there in Champaign I had to do my research and figure out when I could kind of jump in there to fill in a gap um, in a respectful way. Um, somehow the trust um, got built very quickly and what really ended up happening is um, after about a year or so, they really kind of gave me free reign mm -hmm. and it was really interesting to watch. Um, one of my supervisors at one point said, says we were talking about you at lunch today mm -hmm. the, the management team the three of them and he said we were noting um, how you are just kind of honestly just kind of snooping around he's like you're opening all these closets mm -hmm. and drawers and going downstairs and just seeing what's there he said you're really touching areas that have been so neglected he yeah. says we really need you to keep doing that mm -hmm. and I remember really being intrigued by that he said you know we need you to keep snooping around and yeah seeing what's there and, and so on and he, he did he did eventually tell me that um, you know it was the kind of young blood that we needed and um, and he encouraged me uh, by year three year four uh, I pretty much could propose anything and I would just go mm -hmm. to my boss and he knew that it was well-intentioned that I had done my research and that I was genuinely trying to make the office better I just got like kind of a standard yes for everything yeah. And if you can position yourself in a workplace to just always be given a yes, yeah. <laughs> um, that's a hard thing to do, but yeah. um, it's kind of a fun thing to do because mm -hmm. um, it just gives you so many development opportunities for mm -hmm. yourself, which in turn makes the office better and then makes the student experience better. So it was really a win-win. Um, so I would say that being in Champaign, I learned all of that, um, and that was kind of how the first few years played out. Yeah, that's amazing. So leaving Champaign, did you leave Champaign straight for here for the ACE? Or uh, no, so uh, when it was time to leave um, Champaign, yeah. I had decided uh, I graduated from my master's program in December 2008. I went home for the holidays. I came back in early January, and I decided I was going to give myself three months to just kind of hang out, and I wasn't even going to look for jobs. Um, yeah. And I just, that's what I felt like I needed to do um, just for my energy and mm -hmm. um, for my mental <laughs> stability yeah. and so on. I was pretty tired at that point. Yeah. And, and I did that, mm -hmm. and I just enjoyed Champaign for what it was. I had incredible friends, and you know, we, we had our activities that we would do. You know, we had our Monday night Krishna dinners and yeah. our Thursday night Cosmo coffee nights mm -hmm. by the International Student House. You know, all this kind of fun stuff that we're always doing. Yeah. 
So I just did my standard routine and uh, woke up when I felt like it and watched TV all day and just kind of hung out. It was a blast. Yeah. It was really a blast. Uh, when it was time to start looking for a new job, um, it was pretty much happening at U of Chicago um, initially and uh, that, that first opportunity was really starting to happen and um, I just wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. And um, what eventually happened is um, I put an application in at City Colleges of Chicago. And honestly, I still wasn't ready even then. But mm -hmm. I said to myself, I said, all right, I need to kind of get moving here. And uh, the City Colleges of Chicago, Malcolm X College specifically, um, the opportunity just kind of played out. Mm -hmm. And it played out kind of quickly. And it was a good salary. And it was a city that I was choosing this time. Yeah. Um, so previously, like I mentioned, um, you know, I was trying to get that first job. And you kind of, in a sense, have to go where that first job offer is. Mm -hmm. And when you're just getting started out, that offer, offer ended up being in Champaign. This time around, I picked Chicago. And then the offer was coming from Chicago, so I yeah. said, you know, let me get myself there and uh, let me see how this plays out. You know, it's a lot easier to get a job in a city if you're actually there versus having to travel there and just kind of do all that kind of running around mm -hmm. back and forth. Uh, so I'll be honest, I figured I would work in City Colleges for a year or two maybe at the most. Because mm -hmm. I was just going to keep working and try to find something that I thought was a bit better of a fit. The job was a good fit, but the system itself was not. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I knew that I was going to potentially have to keep looking. Uh, but to be the director of the TRIO Educational Opportunity Center in City Colleges uh, put me in a position to cover the west side downtown and north side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And our job was to find a thousand residents in the city um, who just needed to get themselves to the next level education-wise. And it really was an incredible job. Yeah. Um, but it was a tough job. Mm -hmm. um, it was a lot of outreach. Uh, in the middle of the winter, you're going to all these different neighborhoods all over mm -hmm. the city and not all neighborhoods have good public transportation so you're sitting there waiting for the orange line yeah. to show up and this and that and I mean I ended up in some pretty rough areas and you know just doing that in the middle of the winter is not fun mm -hmm. um, but uh, besides that um, you know you're really meeting some of the most high need people in yeah. the city so you know you're doing good work and really making some good connections and giving good referral services and getting mm -hmm. people to the next level of what they need so I really did enjoy the job itself, uh, but it was just too taxing to um, work in City Colleges any longer yeah. for me. Um, the outreach was really wearing me down. Mm -hmm. um, the politics was pretty brutal. Um, city Colleges is run out of uh, City Hall. Mm -hmm. So like I've always said, you can't even order a box of pencils without it being a political move. Yeah. Um, so it, it's intense in that way, um, city politics. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, going from Champaign to Chicago for a job in City Colleges, um, just like Green Bay to Champaign, it was mm -hmm. just on another planet. Yeah. Uh, but it was a good learning experience, and I really learned um, how big cities work, yeah. how complicated it can be, mm -hmm. um, the kind of high needs that are here. Um, but when it played out, it played out, and I, and I moved. Um, what the additional bonus was, was they had given me the offer, but they didn't want me to start for, I think it was like a month, month and a half. Mm -hmm. So that bought me more free time in mm -hmm. Champaign to enjoy myself knowing I had a job waiting for me. Mm -hmm. And that's a really unique situation to be yeah. in is, um, you know, you can kind of say, well, I'm going to, you know, just have three months of hanging out in Champaign and not looking for a job. Yeah. Well, in the back of my head, I was still always kind of worrying about looking yeah. for a job, you know, even though I hadn't actually started the process, you know, because you never know what's going to open up. Yeah. You don't know when the offer is going to show up, if any, you know, yeah. anytime soon. When I got that job and then knew I had this additional window of time, mm -hmm. 
could still just kind of hang out. But knowing I had the security of a job waiting for me, that was fantastic. And yeah. that's when I really had a good time, just kind of hanging out and enjoying my friends as it, as it was at that time in Champaign. So Champaign doesn't last forever. Everyone yeah. is in and out. Everyone is in and out. They're trying to get their degree and then they're out. Mm -hmm. And every year is just a whole new crop of people. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it can be uh, very transparent um, in, in how quick the turnaround plays out. And you're just always watching people leave. Okay, yeah. And that can be hard if you're mm -hmm. kind of more of a permanent person. And I was initially because I was a staffer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when Chicago played out, um, I was really ready. It was great. Yeah. So working for, you said it was the... Chicago Universities? Uh, City Colleges of City Chicago. City Colleges of Chicago. I've never even heard that you did that. Mm -hmm. That's so amazing. So bringing that experience, um, how does that help you land the ACE job? Like what experience helped you with that? Uh, well, the individual who led the um, committee when I was interviewing, um, she still works here. She's actually great. Um, so we're, we're good friends. And um, she, you know, she just really saw the consistency of my experience in Trio. Mm -hmm. So she had seen that I had never really done anything other than Trio. Yeah. And uh, so she felt very secure in um, bringing me in to interview for reasons like that. Mm -hmm. um, she saw that I was a um, Trio alum. Yeah. Um, I was part of the alumni network. And, you know, knowing that I had gone through the Upper Bound program, um, you know, she knew that there was going to be um, an understanding of what Trio students would need, first-gen students would need, and so on. Um, so, so all that came together. It was one of those interviews, um, again, kind of like a champagne interview. Um, this was one that I knew was going to work out as well. Mm -hmm. um, it was just in the air. I just, I was walking. I still remember coming from the Granville Red Line, mm -hmm. taking the right on, um, is it Rosemont, uh, Rosemont right over there? Mm -hmm. um, and then hitting the lights. And I remember it was February and the air was just coming at me from the <laughs> yeah. water. I remember just thinking, wow, this is kind of biting. And mm -hmm. If I get this job, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to get this job, yeah. you know, I'm going to be dealing with this every day. And I remember kind of thinking that, and just thinking, well, you got to deal. But um, mm -hmm. I waited out that light, and the air was hitting me, and I was just like, oh, let me get past yeah. this light. Let me get <laughs> off of this intersection because the water's yeah. right there. And um, anyway, um, I remember um, coming in, and it was just in the air. It's hard to explain. I, I just yeah. knew um, I really liked the dean of students um, at that time. And I remember really hitting it off with him. Um, we talked about just a lot of different things, mm -hmm. and we talked about hobbies. And I, I just I mentioned um, I mentioned having a large vinyl collection, records. Yeah. Um, so kind of playing music the old world way. And I remember very specifically mentioning um, that I was a huge fan of Aretha Franklin. I remember that that resonated with him. I remember mm -hmm. he went okay, okay. Like he, I just <laughs> yeah. remember thinking like yeah. he's got plenty of her records, I'm sure mm -hmm. too. Uh, the other individual was a gentleman, he was an assistant dean over the academic advising area, um, this gentleman from Scotland, who's now at Northwestern, and I remember um, just resonating with him, um, you know, he really understood the complexities of American society and how racism works here and how mm -hmm. classism works here and how people with different socioeconomic statuses are kind of pinned against each other, like he really understood that yeah. um, because of his experiences in Scotland being a low income mm -hmm. person there because our version of racism here, he described it um, as over there, it's it's about classism. Mm -hmm. So you put poor white people against rich white people mm -hmm. and, and so on. And um, just you know, as we engage, you know, he really understood TRIA and yeah. the significance of hiring someone who had a TRIA background, but was also a TRIA student, uh, you know, in another life. <laughs> um, it just came together. I just knew it was going to work out, and yeah. um, it did. So. Um, 
the process played out over the course of two weeks. Um, anybody listening who's ever tried to get a job at a university knows that that's probably the fastest that's ever worked in the history of higher ed ever. <laughs> um, that just is not how it plays out. Yeah. It potentially can take months and months, mm-hmm. and that's just the process. Um, so when it played out in two weeks, um, I remember just really thinking this really was meant to be, and it's going to be a great experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that kind of answers some of my next question, but maybe you could elaborate a little more. Um, walking into onto our Loyola campus, very first impressions. You said you really felt it in your soul that you were going to get the position. Mm-hmm. So, first exp- uh, first impressions. Uh, first impressions. Uh, so I would say that I could see very quickly in the Sullivan Center that mm-hmm. a lot of the staff at that time, um, you know, there were a lot of Type A personalities, mm-hmm. meaning that people really um, are really out there. Um, you know, they really engage. They really, you know, get themselves in front of students, in front of the community. Um, they go the extra mile. They get the work done. Mm-hmm. Um, I had really never seen the kind of productivity here. Um, like I saw it, you know, it was really pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very meeting heavy. Um, we, we had a lot of meetings um, back then. Mm-hmm. I would say maybe a bit too many. <laughs> and, um, you know, people were just always having meetings. Yeah. And um, that could keep our schedule kind of loaded. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, you know, I could use a bit more free time to try to build, um, you know, ACE into the way that I needed to be built. Um, and that actually took a few years um, because we were so meeting heavy. There just mm-hmm. wasn't always the time that, that, I, that I needed. Um, I noticed um, that the campus itself with the social justice mission um, and this idea that you show up for others um, who, need your, who need your voice, who need your privilege, who need your advocacy, I could see that they understood TRIO in a way that I had never seen before mm-hmm. at an institution. So unfortunately with a lot of these programs, um, you know, my colleagues at other institutions, uh, when I go to conferences, mm-hmm. They're very overlooked. Uh, you know, this work isn't appreciated. Um, they they just don't do with their trio programs what we are able to do here. And a lot of the reason why we're able to do what we do here is because it's got the support of the community, but it also has support from the administration. Mm-hmm. And some you know this stuff does have to come from the top. And uh, when we got started here in 2010, uh, Dr. John Palisaro was um, faculty. He had been faculty since the early 80s. And he was in the provost office at that point, so he was crossing over into senior level administration. Yeah. And he was the individual who got this program here. He got mm-hmm. that first initial grant to get ACE started. And when the gentleman who is starting this initiative is now crossing over into senior level administration, that's yeah. going to put this program on the radar. Because mm-hmm. um, he's going to have the ear of all the faculty, he's going to have the ear of all the staff and all the other senior level administrators. Mm-hmm. And that put this program on the map very quickly and in such a such a unique way. And um, luckily for us, uh, the original director and the staff um, at that time, uh, they they in a sense knew how to use that. Yeah. And it, it just kind of put us in a position to be so visible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Dr. Palisaro crossed over into being interim president, yeah. it took it again to another level. And that was around the time that I got here. Yeah. So I was here, I want to say just a few months, and he was still in the provost role. And then the announcement came out that he was now serving as interim president and that mm-hmm. there would be a search, a nationwide search. I feel like he was maybe the, in the interim president role maybe about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that did wonders for ACE. Um, you know, yeah. That continued to put us in a position to be visible. 
everything he did university addresses, he would specifically highlight ACE. Yeah. And um, that's really significant. Um, TRIO programs don't get that yeah. at most institutions, unfortunately. Um, so I would say that that overall embrace, um, I could see that really from day yeah. one. And um, here's a really random piece of um, ACE history. So I remember one of the first big meetings that I was at was in the Galvin Auditorium. And I want to say it was between Student Academic Services, so a lot of the people in Sullivan, and then Student Development, so a lot of people in Damon. And they had come to Galvin, and we all came together. There was some meeting, uh, and um, I remember my boss at that time, Dale, was hosting this um, but I just remember um, when we were giving introductions or I forget if everyone I think he I think he maybe um, identified me as being one of the newest people so mm-hmm. he asked that I stand up and introduce myself and I just remember standing up and saying uh, my name is Roy I said I'm the new director of ACE and just by chance um, I, I looked uh, to my left and um, I saw right in the front row there uh, sister Jeannie mm-hmm. and um, I just remember by chance I just looked where I looked and I happened to be looking at her and the second I said that, um, her face lit up and she went, oh. Yeah. She, mm-hmm. she responded, I said, I'm direct, the new director of ACE and she went, oh. Like I could, mm-hmm. you know, her body language, um, it lifted and her, her face lit up and I remember in that moment thinking, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, Sister Jean ha- has really shown me that um, in that moment that um, you know, people knew that this position was vacant and we were waiting for a new director to get here. And now they're having, you know, in, in many cases in that room, people were meeting me for the first time, mm-hmm. and that was significant. There was a buzz yeah. in a sense that there's a new ACE director, and mm-hmm. um, the fact that that was buzz, yeah, that actually really means something. Because mm-hmm. there's always vacant positions, yeah. um, and most positions aren't necessarily going to get that kind of a response. Yeah. So I remember um, really noticing all that very quickly and realizing again that um, I was in a unique situation um, and that I was going to have to keep the program at that level, mm-hmm. which really introduces um, kind of a new a new stress or a new um, realization mm-hmm. in the workforce for me, because typically when you get a new job, uh, you know, your job is to build up this thing mm-hmm. that you're you know, responsible for. In this case, this was built up in some unique ways that mm-hmm. um, put me in a position to have to keep it at that level versus build it up, Yeah, and that, that's unique. Um, a lot of people don't usually have that experience in the workplace. Yeah. Well, coming in as a freshman, I, I didn't understand fully what ACE was and like how so many people know about ACE and really appreciate ACE, um, but really starting to learn like um, the outreach that we have, you know, Sister Jean being at our banquets, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, Sister mm-hmm. Jean is here. Um, really talking to my professors, telling them that I was an ACE, they were like, that's amazing, you're an ACE. And then also seeing mentors like Japani and Gitsani being a part of so much more than just mm-hmm. ACE, but also bringing in what they bring into ACE into other clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really amazing to me, and that's kind of why I wanted to work for ACE, and I wanted to be a part of ACE, just because I can say, like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I do this in ACE, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So that's really amazing that Sister Jean was there. and That always that was my first, like, oh, my God, ACE. Like, this, I'm a part of this, mm-hmm. you know? So bringing it more towards um, ACE, this past uh, summer was your eighth STP. Congratulations, that is so Thank impressive. <laughs> I don't think I've had anything that long. <laughs> but um, can you tell us a little bit more about what STP year one was like and how it compares to STP year eight? Uh, for those of you who are not in the room, uh, which is everybody basically, um, I'm <laughs> shaking my head right now. Um, oh boy, year one. Uh, so 
Tier one. So, uh, year one was a completely different experience. I, the STP program, the summer transition program, uh, it was organized um, that first and second year by a different staffer. And um, it was very intense. Um, I would say that it was organized in a way that was just a bit too much. Mm-hmm. It was just a whole nother level of, of experience and time commitment and energy commitment. Um, it was just, frankly just too much. It mm-hmm. really was too much. Uh, it went Monday through Thursday, basically 12, 13 hours a day. Wow. And it was absolutely too much. Uh, so it was a um, very heavy lecture. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine sitting there literally for 10, 12 <laughs> hours a day being no. spoken at? Yeah. You would just have presenter after presenter after presenter. Um, it really was overkill when it came mm-hmm. to just details and information. Uh, but that's how they had done it. And when I had gotten here, um, you know, the planning process had already started. You know, I got here in March. Um, this thing gets planned in the summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the, the woodwork was already laid out um, for that first summer that I was going to experience. Um, I did decide, I did make the decision quickly to step back and let the individual who had done it before and who mm-hmm. had already organized and had already started the process to really honor their their work yeah. and um, their approach um, so I could just see it play out in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another tip for you all. Uh, when you're a manager, um, you know, you you want to give people the chance to kind of show you what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and even at times when you're kind of going, ooh, I don't know about that, but you know, you, you do want to give them a chance mm-hmm. to show you what they're made of and, and what their work can actually do mm-hmm. and how it can play out in real life. So so I did step back and I made that very specific decision um, and as it played out, um, I, I was nearly horrified, mm-hmm. I'll be honest, uh, that it was, the, the schedule is what it was. It was just, I don't know how these students got through it. Yeah. I don't know how they got through it. And honestly, I was a bit shocked that they came back the next Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so we went um, we went that whole week um, Friday was convocation day mm-hmm. that was a long day as well um, everybody gets done at six after the convo class convo mm-hmm. was five to six that at that time mm-hmm. and you know when these students showed up again the next Monday um, I remember honestly being a little concerned um, I, I just it wasn't healthy I, I felt like we had just potentially just taken their immune system and just smashed it yeah. into the ground. I mean, that's a lot of endurance that you have to you have to have to be able to get through um, a, a program of that length. Um, the second year um, was becoming along the lines of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And and again, um, I had a new staffer at that time, and um, I, she was helping the previous person who had done it for a few years. And I just kind of let them go because I wasn't in a position yet to uh, be able to really lead it yet you know mm-hmm. there were so many other things that needed to be building and worrying about with an ace so I was letting the process kind of play out again and then was going to jump in and um, make some edits um, all of a sudden we blinked and it was almost time yeah. and there was almost going to be no time to do edits and, and I just kind of put my hand on, hand on my forehead and went all right let's close our eyes and hope for the best and you know hopefully we'll do what we need to do for year three the staffer who had organized it ended up leaving Loyola about a week before STP. Wow. And that put Kathleen and I, um, Kathleen had just started as an advisor. Mm-hmm. That put Kathleen and I in charge of STP with almost yeah. no notice. Mm-hmm. 
that was probably one of the toughest weeks I've ever experienced in life. Um, it was brutal. Mm -hmm. And um, here's another bit of uh, ACE history. Um, the <laughs> Uh, the the poor um, peer mentors at that time, that poor team, they were getting a stipend, and this number had just been decided upon, you know, from previous staff, and I just kind of left it, and um, you know, I had other things that I was worrying about. For a week that was that long, mm -hmm. you know, 12, 13, 12, 13 hours a day, they were getting paid two hundred and fifty dollars at the end of that week. And when I did the math, I looked and I was like, I don't even think we're any minimum wage like this yeah. is horrible I, I was just horrified that mm -hmm. they were doing that much work and putting that much time into it and then taking them $250 taxed yeah. dollars you know I mean what are you making you're making $200 you know yeah that week um, so I actually bumped up um, almost on the spot when I realized what was really happening um, mm -hmm. I actually bumped up their salary by $750 so they took yeah. home a grand that nice. week uh, and I, I just kind of called them in and said what you're getting just doesn't suffice. Mm -hmm. You're getting to get $1,000. And yeah. they just kind of looked at me in shock. <laughs> and they're like, okay, that sounds good. Um, STP, um, you know, it did its job. Uh, the students, they showed up. Um, and then they came back the next Monday. Mm -hmm. And again, I was shocked that they came back. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, by year three, um, that put me in a position to, um, to really give it the facelift that it needed. Mm -hmm. And it became the STP that more of the students today know. Yeah. Um, I like our version better, um, but it's also more student-led. So yeah. we had a team of, of retreat leaders back then. Um, and they assisted to a degree with the planning, but nowhere near the capacity mm -hmm. that the students these days do. And I think that's really the difference. Um, there's more ownership from the students. Um, they were just high school students, you know, recently. Yeah. So they know what high school students of today might want to see, mm -hmm. but they know how to communicate. I mean, when you all did that TikTok video to yeah. the Full House theme, you know, stuff like that. I mean, we just had never done anything like that before. Yeah. And we had done videos, but, um, but you know, just taking it, just doing it a little different from year to year, and just mm -hmm. doing it in a cute way like that, and yeah. in an innovative way. Um, it just wasn't like that back in the day. Uh -huh. uh, but th that's what happens when you give student o students ownership and you give them a platform and let them run with it. Yeah. Well, coming in as a freshman, my freshman year at STP, my first summer here, I just remember it, one word, fun. That was it. I don't really remember like the long lectures. I feel like there wasn't much of that. I remember learning so much about what Loyola and what ACE offers to its students. I remember going back home and telling my mom, like, look, look what I get. <laughs> I get all of this. And she was like, amazing, Miha. Like, that's great. Um, now, STP year two for me, being a little more involved and really being around the mentors more, um, I really can appreciate all that they do and all that you, Michelle and Jen and Luis at the time do and all the mentors because just seeing, being there um, even like 30 minutes early with them, them like going through what the day was and I was like, wow, this is really is student led. Like they put their heart and their soul into it, especially you guys and the staff. So that was amazing for me to see and being a part of that. Um, so that's really it. I wanna ask you one last question though. Um, the best advice you can give to our listeners with all the knowledge that you have? Well, I would say the best advice that I can give students um, in their current role in life. So in the role of student, I would say this is the, the best time of your life to, to be nosy mm -hmm. 
um, you know, you really want to see what's out there and you really want to see what's going on on this campus. Because you pay tuition dollars, um, that gives you access to this campus and everything yeah. that's happening within it. And uh, this is a time to see how this office might be able to help you, um, how this service might be able to help you, how this event might be able to help you. So go to all these offices, go yeah. to their websites, research their websites, see what's there, find out who the staffers are, find out who the faculty are, meet those folks, find mm -hmm. out what they know, grab brochures, grab flyers, take dates down, QR codes, um, show up to stuff. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, everything is built with the purpose of putting you in a better position. Uh, but if you're not showing up, um, you're never going to find out what yeah. you should have been getting out of it. So you got to be nosy to find all that stuff. Yeah. And um, I would say that, um, you know, being nosy is typically frowned upon in, in American society. <laughs> so, um, but this is that unique window yeah. of time where being nosy, I think, is actually the best way of communicating mm -hmm. what you should be, which is be nosy and get your money's worth. You're paying yeah. tuition for all of this. So um, make it work to your benefit. Mm -hmm. I would say the advice I would give in the role of first-generation college student, I would say you want to keep in mind that... Um, you know, you've gotten yourself, I would almost say, to the 90-meter mark, um, getting here to Loyola as, mm -hmm. as a new first-year student. Um, you're going to have gone through a K-12 through system that may have worked well from where you're from or may not have worked well from where you're from, but you still got through the experience and equipped yourself with the skills and the talents to yeah. get yourself enrolled at Loyola. Mm -hmm. And that's no small feat. Um, you know, Loyola has a nationwide reputation. Mm -hmm. um, Loyola, when I go to conferences, people literally say things to me like, you know stuff like that yeah. but they also asked me how did you get in there I've been trying to get a job at Loyola for uh, 10 years five yeah. years seven years like I can't even get an interview like how did you actually get an offer mm -hmm. um, so the reputation stands yeah and um, and that's gonna do wonders for our students um, but point is that you've got yourself to a school with um, you know a lot going on with a reputation and uh, you know you you've got to understand uh, the significance of that because the social inequities that you would have worked through in society mm -hmm. um, are significant, and these things are there for a reason, mm -hmm. and they are built to keep communities divided, yeah. and to keep people out of the building, to keep people from their success, because for American society to continue to work the way it works, for, s for people to be on top, there's got to be people on the bottom. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely positively set up that way. Mm -hmm. That is intentional. And when our students still get through all of that and get themselves here, um, you know, you really got to pat yourselves on the back and yeah. say you stood up to this patriarchal, oppressive system. Mm -hmm. You stood up to it and you beat it. Yeah. So now I just need you to focus on these four years and get from that 90 meter mark to the 100 meter mark. Because you're almost there already. Simply by getting here, you're already almost there. And when you get there, um, you're going to walk out with a degree and that's going to make you job ready. And that's going to give you the opportunity and the platform to really transform these professions in mm -hmm. whichever direction a student goes, whether it's nursing, whether it's you know media, whether it's politics, whether it's medicine. Mm -hmm. You have this huge opportunity to take these professions that are now the new version of what you have to deal with, which yeah. is you know the new version of education. A lot of these professions aren't built for us. Mm -hmm. They're not built for people of color. They're not built for women. They're not mm -hmm. built for low-income people. They're not built for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. But if we can get ourselves there, now we get some say. Yeah. And we can transform it and build opportunities for the next class mm -hmm. of first-gen, lower-income students with disabilities, women, LGBT, and so on. Yeah. 
So I would say understanding all of that in the role of student, mm-hmm. um, first generation college student, um, you know, you've really done a lot mm-hmm. to get here. Um, so keep all of that in mind. And then I would just say, you know, the third and final role, um, the best advice I would give you as, as, as a family member, as a community member, is just remembering where you came from. Um, you know, it's worked out for you, and you want to be, be able to propel those mm-hmm. who you're close to, whether that's niece or nephew or a younger sibling or a parent who maybe wants to return to school 20, 30 years later. You know, you're, you're equipped with uh, some privilege when you have your degree from Loyola. Mm-hmm. You're equipped with knowledge, access, resources, networks. Yeah. So share all that mm-hmm. and get that next generation um, even better set up to uh, propel themselves forward, mm-hmm. to help um, hold these professions even that much more accountable than what you're going to have, you know, held them accountable for. But also to go even further and, and keep in mind the civic engagement of what we need to be doing. Mm-hmm. We need um, that next generation of Latino voters. Of women voters, of LGBT voters, black voters, and so on. We need mm-hmm. folks to be challenging where the policy is. Because yeah. we can go ahead and take care of ourselves regarding our profession, but we got to keep in mind the overall community mm-hmm. and the policy that runs the, that community. Yeah. And it's run via our mayor, our governor, our alder people, our house of reps, our mm-hmm. senators, and then eventually our presidents. Yeah. We have to make sure that those people are um, held accountable mm-hmm. and that we're showing up for the people who are going to represent us best. So you can go ahead and get yourself the kind of job that you're eventually trying to get yourself with the kind of income, but if the wrong people are building the overall house, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's not going to be enough um, and your tax dollars are not going to be used in the way that they need to and you're going to pay in the long term on the back end yeah. for all that crime and all that stuff that you know that, mm-hmm. that's running rampant the house is being built wrong mm-hmm. by the people who are elected to run it. Yeah. So if we can keep all that in mind in the role of um, you know family member, community member, I would mm-hmm. say that those three areas, if we can keep all that in mind, I think we'll be much better off. Yeah. Well, I do want to say that ACE really is such a privilege, and I think that the scholars in ACE should recognize that it is a privilege to be in this. I have friends at other universities. I have a friend at American University. Um, they don't get all this, the, the TRIO programs that I get here. Um, so seeing the difference in you know, the, the counseling, the guidance that they get versus what I get, it's really, um, I just, I love it so much and I really appreciate it for all the, all the ACE does. And I have um, the freshmen coming in, you know, the advice that I have been giving them is to throw yourself into ACE, like really take advantage of everything that ACE offers you. Um, I feel like I've been really been taking advantage and it's helped me grow so much as a person, as a student, um, doing the social media thing, I've learned so much. So um, for everyone listening, um, be involved in ACE, um, be around, come to the lounge, talk to us. It's so much fun and you'll learn so much more from it. Um, thank you so much, Roy. This has been amazing. I hope you all learned so much more about Roy. I learned more about you, that's awesome. Um, Please come back for our next episode and follow all of our social media accounts at Loyola Ace on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And thank you. I hope to see you all in the lounge.